Hey everyone, this is David Recupero with the Tech in Mental Health podcast. This podcast, David Moe and I talked to Harris Ayer of CNS Dose. Harris's company is using genetic testing to help people find the right antidepressant. After the podcast, if you'd like to reach out uh, to Harris, his email is Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, Ayer, it's spelled E-Y-R-E, at cnsdose.com. Again, it's Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, E-Y-R-E at cnsdose.com. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey, this is David Recupero with the Tech in Mental Health podcast. We've got a really exciting podcast today. Um, Today I have our co-host, David Moe, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Valera Health, and we have Harris Ayer. Harris is the CMO at CNS Dose. CNS Dose uses advanced gene testing to help patients find the right antidepressant faster. Um, how's everybody doing today? Doing well, thank you guys. Thanks for the opportunity to have a conversation. Thanks for coming, Harris. So to kick things off here, how about, uh, could we get an introduction of you, Harris? So I'm, I'm Harris Ayer. I'm MD, PhD, Chief Medical Officer of CNS Dose. Um, I'm an executive in uh, precision psychiatry, so very interested in taking evidence-based technologies to market that leverage advanced um, uh, biomarkers and advanced technologies in the mental health sector. I currently, I'm an Australian originally, but currently living and based at the Texas Medical Center in Houston, Texas. So how did you find yourself in CNS Dose? Is this something you started from the ground up? How did you end up there? So I'm one of the co-founders of CNS Dose, and I found CNS Dose uh, a number of years ago. Uh, I met the founder of the company, Associate Professor Ajit Singh, who's a psychiatrist and pharmacogeneticist. I met him um, in Melbourne, Australia, uh, actually, via LinkedIn is how we met. Uh, we were affiliated with a similar psychiatry department, but we met through LinkedIn as two folks in psychiatry that are very interested in, in innovation. Ajit had developed this pharmacogenetic technology that was evidence-based, had, had a randomized control trial behind it, and, and Ajit reached out to me to have a conversation, and I looked at the, the technology and thought it was really high value, uh, high quality. And so I got behind the company as a co-founder and chief medical officer, ostensibly to support the commercialization of the technology uh, in Australia and also in the US. And I found the company at a time when I had completed half of my psychiatry training and completed my PhD. And I was looking to the technology sector as a way to impact broader amounts of people through commercializing high quality technologies. So that's the that's the brief story. And today you, you've moved to the US, correct? Um, you are currently going to be residing in Houston at the and you're working at the Texas Medical Center? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been very fortunate to get a position at the Texas Medical Center's Digital Health Accelerator this year. So I've been there since February and really loving the experience. Texas Medical Center is the biggest medical city in the world. It's got around 23 affiliated hospitals, sees 10 million patients a year, and it's got a big drive for innovation and a a large innovation institute. So 
Um, I've moved over from Australia to Houston, Texas, to basically help um, CNS Dose grow and and flourish in the U.S. market. Um, found out about the Texas Medical Center actually when the president and CEO and chief operating officer of TMC were in Melbourne, Australia. I had a meeting with them and they convinced me to come and check out the Texas Medical Center. And actually the Australian government has set up what's called a BioBridge program, which sends early stage digital health companies from Australia to the Texas Medical Center, Texas Medical Center being a bit of a landing pad, so to speak, for early stage Australian healthcare companies. So. So can you explain to us specifically the problem that CNS dose solves and, you know, without CNS dose, what would, what happens today? So CNS dose, as you mentioned before, is specializing in advanced genetic testing to guide the treatment of antidepressant medication. So our, our slogan is that we fast track finding the right antidepressant. We're very proud of our technology. The, the pain point that we're solving is, uh, around the standard of care um, in the prescription and treatment of antidepressant medication. So the current standard of care is trial and error. Um, trial and error meaning that we fundamentally treat all patients at the moment very similarly, similar. Um, and we, we essentially don't have much knowledge of the biology of the patient and how we prescribe the antidepressant medications. So that means that uh, around 50% of depression patients uh, won't recover from their antidepressant, which is obviously a, a very sobering statistic. And it can mean that people with depression who are obviously suffering, their families are suffering um, terribly from this, this uh, disorder, it means that they cannot get better sometimes for months, if not years. And that's obviously devastating on their lives. And, and obviously, as, the, as each, each uh, trial of an antidepressant medication fails, folks become uh, more hopeless and more despondent about their situation. So what CNS Dose does is we aim to improve and uh, precision target the treatment of uh, depression with antidepressant medications. And we aim to improve the outcomes, uh, have less trial and error, um, and also less side effects. And ultimately, it's all about improving the outcomes for the patient and saving health systems um, uh, resources through this process. That's excellent. So w one of the things that I mentioned uh, that is a very impressive is I'm looking at the paper that you've written about this. Can you go over this very quickly? I find it to be quite a rigorous uh, approach. Um, and if you can maybe speak to uh, wh why you designed the, the study as you did and what the outcomes are, which are quite fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So we're very proud of our evidence base at CNS Dose. We recognize that in the pharmacogenetic field over the last 10 or 15 years, there um, have been technologies which primarily look at liver genetics and how the liver metabolism of these medications will dictate um, side effects and, and outcomes and efficacy. So we call them the first generation technology. CNS Dose uh, is part of the second generation of pharmacogenetic technologies for depression. So um, we look at liver and brain genetics. And specifically with CNS dose, it's blood-brain barrier genetics. So it's all about uh, looking at these particular efflux transporters at the blood-brain barrier, understanding how medications interact with the blood-brain barrier, which dictates if the medication 
will get into the brain tissue, cerebrospinal fluid or not. So that's fundamentally our technology is blood, brain barrier and liver. Um, and so we're very proud to say that we have the first positive randomized controlled trial in the field. And it's currently the only positive randomized controlled trial as, as well. So the way that we designed that study, the study was uh, developed similar to a pharmaceutical trial. So it was a three-month uh, double-blind randomized controlled trial. Uh, we looked at um, patients with major depressive disorder. We looked at 148 patients in total. And the outcome, uh, primary outcome metric was symptom remission uh, through the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale. And we also looked at side effects and what we found in the CNS dose arm of the study was that there was a 72% remission rate. And then in the unguided or treatment as usual arm, there was a 28% remission rate. And there was, so there's a, a more than doubling of the rate of remission with using the CNS dose technology in the trial. And we found significant reductions in side effects. And we also did some health economic modeling and found that there was a a significant cost saving as far as health resources go to the magnitude of uh, 2,400 US dollars saved in direct medical costs per patient per year. So reduced costs of medications, doctor's visits, and also uh, hospitalizations. So that was our first study, which we call the randomized uh, controlled trial that was published in August of 2015. Uh, and then uh, interestingly enough, the Department of Veterans Affairs did a systematic review of the field of depression pharmacogenetics. Uh, they published that uh, June of 2016. And um, that was a great independent review of the field. And they said that CNS dose based off of this randomized controlled trial was the most uh, promising technology in a new field of depression pharmacogenetics. So we're very proud of that uh, independent validation. And then off the back of that, we have a a second study that we published in January of 2017, so just early this year, and we call that our concordance study. And that was really a retrospective association study whereby we derived accuracy and sensitivity and specificity metrics on our technology. So specifically dosing um, patients with major depressive disorder with desvenlafaxine, uh, dosing them naturalistically. And then at the end of the study, which was a 10-week study, we uh, correlated the dose that they needed to remit versus what CNS dose would have predicted uh, at the end of the study when the genetic testing was done at the end of the trial. And so, as I mentioned, we found a greater than 85% uh, sensitivity, specificity, and accuracy. So that's our, that's our corpus of clinical trial data. Um, so we're very proud of it, but obviously very keen to continue to develop that um, clinical trial evidence, which is obviously important in the field of, of any new technology to, to demonstrate value to clinicians and to, and to health systems. It's fantastic. And Harris, I do want to underscore for our listeners that this is uh, quite an accomplishment. As you mentioned for the control group, when you give patients antidepressants, on average, only about 20, high 20s, low 30 percentage of them will remit. And you're able to consistently see over 70% of your patients remit when they use your technology. So that's a, that is fantastic. I want to make sure that's not lost um, throughout all of this, but I do really appreciate the rigor of what you're doing here. Um, how do you monetize this? Do you go directly to the patients? Do you work with hospitals? 
Are you talking to insurance companies and payers? How do you think about that? Yeah, it's a great question. So we look to monetize the technology in a number of ways. Um, mainly we're offering the technology to uh, patients through their physicians. So we're, we're really focusing on health systems and physicians. Um, and most of the way that we're uh, paid is through reimbursement through insurers. So through uh, government insurance, Medicare and Medicaid, and also commercial insurance. So that's the main bulk of, of how the, the monetization works. We also have a cash pay model which we which we can utilize and and then in the cash pay model there's a financial assistance package which allows the scaling of the cost based off of uh, socioeconomic factors so at the moment what we're doing is we have a sort of uh, uh, bottom-up approach and a top-down approach so the bottom-up approach is targeting small doctors practices so uh, primary care and psychiatry so we're we're deployed um, through those clinics all across the U.S. Around 300 doctors using the technology. We've launched it only about four months ago, and then we also have the top-down approach. So going to large um, insurers and also large health systems, and looking to develop a precision medicine program across an entire system or insurance base. Got it. Got it. Very good. And give us a sense of how much that would cost. Let's say. I'm a patient, uh, I, my insurance doesn't cover this quite yet, or I don't want to wait for it. Uh, how much would it cost for me to get this genetic testing and then get that get the results sent to my psychiatrists? So it's uh, $399 US is the, is the cash pay uh, price for the technology. Got it, got it. What are some of the barriers? It feels like the technology is so good that insurance companies should be jumping on this very, very quickly. Um, and I can tell you right now, it's it's ironic. I just sent out genetic testing for one of my patients at Mass General, and it costs a lot of money. I have to. It's a send out test. I actually have to send it out to the Mayo Labs, and it costs thousands of dollars, and it takes weeks to months for it before it comes back. So tell me, uh, tell me, what's the friction points that prevent this from taking off uh, full throttle? Yeah, it's a very good question and something to think about on a daily basis. I, I would say that you know you're right. Um, it is you know relatively common now. You, you've done it yourself uh, just recently. Pharmacogenetic testing on one of your patients. It's it's relatively common, but you'd be quite surprised that there are still a large number of both psychiatrists and primary care doctors that haven't heard about pharmacogenetic testing in psychiatry um, at all, or if they have heard of it, they've used it maybe 10 years ago with a technology that they found to be underwhelming and of sort of insufficient clinical value. So uh, I think one of the barriers is just developing awareness amongst the clinical community and also developing awareness that there is a second generation of these technologies available, which moves from just liver-only analysis to liver and, and brain genetic analysis. So though that awareness and, and outlining that the field has moved forward, there's a you know the dawn of the randomised controlled trial in this field is is upon uh, upon the field and upon the clinicians. I think that's very important. Obviously, um, uh, recognizing that. 
reimbursement is an, an ongoing challenge. So reimbursement is not an easy thing for any new technology in the market. So, you know, you've got to be out there having conversations with uh, payers, with hospital systems. You've got to be always thinking about uh, more health economic impact research to outline the value of your technology. So that's it's a big area of what we do because obviously reimbursement is important for a, a viable uh, business model. That makes a lot of sense. And can I ask, so right now, are you seeing that Medicare and Medicaid uh, and other payers do reimburse for this technology right now? I think if you look across the whole field of depression pharmacogenetics or or, or pharmacogenetics in other mental health medications like antipsychotics and, and mood stabilizers, you see that um, there is very reasonable reimbursement through the market. Uh, Medicare is uh, a, a fairly good reimbursement um, opportunity for companies. Medicaid is dependent upon the state that the technology uh, that the patient is, is actually living in and, and really, commercial insurers tend to take a, a fair bit of, of guidance from Medicare. So, commercial insurers are um, reimbursing the technology. Um, so, obviously, it, it, what I've outlined is a fairly positive picture, but you, you always have to make sure as a, as a field that you're working to optimize the reimbursement and, and stabilize the reimbursement across all these different agencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things, and again, I'm, I'm such a fan of this type of technology. One thing that uh, I'm worried about a little bit is this. Right now, I get to send the liver genotyping, uh, the, uh, so the CYP genes that is, an, uh, based on my understanding, that's also involved in the CNS dose uh, panel of genes that you target. And so it seems that when you add these other blood-brain barrier genes, it really improves the effectiveness of, of the entire panel. As a clinician, my question is, what is the marginal value add of those additional genes? Meaning if I send the liver, just the liver enzymes through the Mayo Clinic, as I do right now in my typical, uh, typical day-to-day work, what is the additional value of sending the other genes? And I ask that only in the sense of how do you convince uh, clinicians to let's say send your send order the CNS dose panel instead of whatever they're used to right now. Yeah, that's a really pertinent question and an important one that we come across regularly. So when so absolutely CNS dose is of the position that uh, looking at the blood brain barrier, looking at these particular efflux transporters is very important. Um, and adds value to the technology. So if I'm demonst- uh, trying, uh, basically going through the process of outlining value to a clinician or to a, to a health executive about the technology, I would point them to our randomized control trial. That's the best way to outline to them that um, we uh, have the first RCT and the, and the first positive RCT, and it's currently the only positive RCT in the field. And that's a demonstration of the of the value out of our technology. It demonstrates improved remission rates and reduced side effect profiles. And then we obviously have a concordant study at the back of that, which I'll talk about as well. Um, so that that's the, the main focus of how we demonstrate value of the technology. But if people are really interested in getting to know about the, the particular blood-brain barrier technology, which is uh, proprietary to us, um, 
in our in our in our uh, technology, then I would point them to a number of uh, studies, retrospective association studies, and other types of pharmacogenetic studies, which specifically look at these blood-brain barrier transporters. And there's a lot of work that's been done by uh, Ajit Singh, who's the founder of our company. He did his PhD and postdoc specifically on blood-brain barrier pharmacogenetics. There's also a lot of work done out of the Max Planck Institute in Germany by Manfred Erz group uh, and, and his associates. And, and really through a number of key academics around the world, they've been able to demonstrate that there is value to looking at uh, blood-brain barrier genetics. It, it, it can help to um, improve depression outcomes and reduce side effects. So if people are really interested, I, you know, more than happy to share those papers which, which speak to the importance of the blood-brain barrier. Certainly, certainly. And it's something to think about uh, carefully, I think, figuring out what, you know, how much of the liver enzymes contribute to the effect versus how much of the blood-brain barrier genes contribute to the effect could be important not only for your company, but for the, the you know, just scientific knowledge at large so that we know which ones to target more specifically. Um, I'm also thinking that looking at this trial, if I'm not mistaken, you use the genetic testing to guide the experimental arm patients from the very get-go, right, at the very beginning. And, Correct. Uh, yeah. This is a very different, and I think this is the right way to go, but this is very, very different than how clinicians think about things currently. Uh, typically, what we do is someone comes in with depression, we hit them with a, with a generic SSRI, that doesn't work, we might switch to another one, that doesn't work, we might even switch to a third one before we even consider genetic testing. So in a way, there's a, a mountain of habit that you're going to have to fight and say that when someone comes in with depression, maybe the first thing you should do is genetic testing and, uh, and get them to follow that treatment paradigm after that. So how do, how do you think about that? How do you change physician behavior? How do you begin to affect physician behavior in that way? So you're getting to the point of preemptive pharmacogenetic testing versus uh, reactive pharmacogenetic testing. We've thought a lot about this and, and written about it quite extensively in the literature with our, um, our academic colleagues. So you're right that our randomized controlled trial does look at preemptive pharmacogenetic testing. So doing pharmacogenetic testing uh, before or at the time when an antidepressant is first prescribed. Um, and then there's reactive pharmacogenetic testing, just to go through that, is, is obviously looking at how, what is the value of pharmacogenetic testing uh, after one or two or three failures of, of medications most commonly. I think that in the field, you're right that mostly pharmacogenetic testing is done in a reactive manner, and that's certainly how uh, reimbursement is, is um, covering this technology at the moment. I think that when we think about preemptive pharmacogenetic testing before an antidepressant is considered or doing it at the time of the first antidepressant being being prescribed, that's really about, well, you know, we need to continue to demonstrate clinical trial data in a, in a clinical trial setting or in a real-world setting that, that demonstrates the value of that. Because obviously the holy grail would be if we had a number of randomized controlled trials which demonstrated the value of, of um preemptive pharmacogenetic testing. So I think it's really about, uh, there's, there's going to be a tipping point from reactive to preemptive, and it's all about demonstrating clinical trial data or real-world uh, 
um, data to, to, to prove that that's important. And I think it's all about what is the experience of doctors across the US in this, in this area? What do they feel is most important? Um, and, and I think the numbers will start to speak for themselves about how doctors are using it. And, and obviously, you know, we're very keen to capture that data and hear from doctors on, on, on how they think pharmacogenetic technology is best used for antidepressants. Got it. Very good. I've been throwing you all these curveballs. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I give you a breather and, and ask, what, what is one successful partnership? And you don't have to mention the name of the partner with a client, but can you describe one successful partnership with either a hospital system, a set of patients, or a payer uh, that has uh, that, that really got the engine going for you guys? Yeah, it's a very, very good question. So, look, I think that um, for us, um, if I'm to think of one big partnership, we're, we're in the process of finalizing a, a partnership with a large um, integrated delivery network in the US and that is going to be a, you know a really large transformational step for the company um, looking at the integrated delivery networks being interested in, in pharmacogenetic technology really speaks to the fact that they they see the value of the technology to their patients the value of the technology to their clinicians and they also see it if they're integrated and a payer as well they see that there's a health economic or cost effectiveness value. So um, we're very excited to announce this in, in the coming months. Um, and and it's, it's really a good way to uh, work with a large integrated delivery network and to, to offer your technology and to disseminate it throughout the technology, make clinicians aware throughout the system um, and, and give them the opportunity to, to learn about the technology, provide them with webinars or other forms of continuing medical education, and, and obviously be able to, when you roll out the technology, be able to capture data on an ongoing basis about uh, what is the value that, that, you're, that you're bringing to that network as far as patient satisfaction, patient outcomes, physician satisfaction, physician outcomes, and obviously the health economic outcomes. One thought I had, you know, that's fantastic. One thought that I had uh, initially is that, you know, when these technologies first hit the ground, and you might be exploring this already, but working with concierge primary care clinics might be a way to go. Um, as you probably know, these are clinics for patients who are usually private pay. They pay a subscription fee, so they have the cell phone numbers of their PCPs. And uh, they typically are willing to pay premium dollars for cutting-edge technology. And frankly, a lot of those new technologies or conveniences don't have nearly as much data uh, and evidence as, as you do. And so I wonder if that could be a uh, low-hanging fruit for you to generate some revenue in order to, to make this thing go. That's a great point of uh, business development, uh, David M. And maybe you should come work for us and help us out with, uh, with <laughs> business development. <laughs> um, no, no, I, you know, I think... You make a good point that the concierge medicine sector in the U.S. is, to my knowledge, it's probably the largest concierge medicine sector, you know, in, in any country in the world. So definitely there would be opportunities there to to offer um, our kind of technology, which, which could be considered an early stage technology that, um, you know, doctors are still getting used to. As we've talked about, there's not a mass 
perfect awareness of the technology. So obviously a good way to start is with these concierge medicine uh, practices or clinicians where, where resources are more uh, open to them as far as ability to pay for new innovative technology. So I, I take that point and uh, absolutely we're uh, exploring that, that sector at the moment in the U.S., Yes, certainly. And then related to that, I would say direct primary care models would be very interested in this as well. Um, especially, I'm sure you've heard of the Ioras and the One Medicals. And, and the reason is because those companies, they really are very innovative and they hold on to risk themselves. And, and they're run by scientists and doctors who really care about uh, value add per, per dollar spent. Uh, so they would look at this and they might immediately say, hey, this is, this is, this is great for our high-risk patients who we think that depression plays a significant role. Because frankly, most of the patients that walk through the door, they're not walking in with no trials of antidepressants anyways. Uh, it might be worthwhile for them to get this testing. And $400, frankly, is, is not expensive when it comes to genetic testing, frankly, any testing at all. So um, I think there are many avenues for this to succeed. But... That's fantastic. Um, what uh, what's the funding level right now? What's uh, what's the whatever you're able to share about what stage your company is at right now, and what the next most imminent critical step would be for the for the startup? Yeah. So um, just just to your point previously, I mean, I agree with you that I think that there are there are many avenues to explore. Um, market access with a technology like CNS dose and like pharmacogenetics there's you know as you mentioned there are these there, well, there are digital health companies there are telemedicine platforms um, there are remote monitoring companies that, that that may be interested there are ACOs integrated delivery networks and, and other large health systems and insurers so you know certainly I think it's it's time to get a little bit creative in, in the mental health sector, particularly as all these other new technologies come in, we're, we're able to to look at novel ways of, of, of market access. So I absolutely take your point. To the point of, of the development of the company, so we are um, an early stage growth company. So we have a, a board of directors, uh, which we're very proud of. We've recently brought on an experienced CEO uh, out of Los Angeles, and we've had a, an angel round of funding that was middle of last year. That was uh, public knowledge. We raised a um, million dollars in Australia, and we're in the middle of a, of a seed round of, uh, of funding, um, and that's going very well. We're about halfway through that seed round. So we're very optimistic about the future of CNS Dose. We've found um, the U.S. market to be a great place to be you know i've obviously moved here our ceo is based in los angeles so we're, we're making good progress here and then obviously as a company that originated out of australia where we're also looking very hard at market entry in, in in the australian in the australian market so i think what we find in pharmacogenetics globally is that the us is the most advanced country as far as the utilization and adoption of pharmacogenetics in psychiatry and now that the field is maturing to a certain level, we're seeing um, insurers and health systems and, you know, professors and clinicians in other countries saying, well, hey, we want to get uh, this technology uh, here. So we're, we're exploring very actively how to deploy in Australia um, and very excited about that as our, as our home country and 
and where we raised most of our money and and developed our technology. So that's 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 where we're up to. That's that's fantastic. Congratulations on the raise, and uh, I'll hand it off to David R. After this uh, last question, I wanted to bring it down to the patient level again. So let's say I have a patient who comes in and says, "Oh, I was online, found out about this CNS dose." Uh, technology. I'm very interested in it. I hear that it's covered by insurance. Can I get it? How do how do clinicians out there who are listening? How would they go about getting their patients uh, this testing, this genetic testing, in the in the easiest way possible? Yep, yep. That's a uh, again uh, another great question. So I would. Uh, suggest to them that if they're interested in, in getting the CNS dose technology or, or exploring the CNS dose technology, then jump onto our website, which is simply just cnsdose.com. And there's a phone number on there where they can call our team and ask questions about, you know, availability of the technology, cost of the technology, um, turnaround time, um, and, uh, you know, information about our clinical trials or really whatever questions they have. So that that would be uh, what I would refer people to if they're interested to, to explore it uh, more. And, and obviously, I would be very, very happy if they wanted to explore it further. Um, so that that's the approach. Uh, if I could, could I just make one point about um, some of, of the additional values of pharmacogenetic testing? So, so obviously what we've talked about is the value of the genetic technology in optimizing dosing and choice of medications. I think that's that's the bedrock of, of the mechanism of this technology, if I can put it that way. But, you know, we also think about psychosocial benefits of the technology. So um, we believe that technologies like CNS dose improve what's called shared decision-making, um, being the patient's engagement with their care in the decisions about their diagnosis, how appropriate the diagnosis is, if they agree with it, if they disagree with it, and their thoughts about treatment. So what are their wishes? What are their beliefs about treatment? So we see pharmacogenetic testing as a way to improve that shared decision-making. The, the older model of medicine was that the clinician would tell the patient what to do and the patient was rather passive, but now we're in this world of patient-centered care um, and, and the patient and the clinician seeing each other really at the same level. Um, and, and that concept of shared decision-making is how we feel um, pharmacogenetics has another mechanism. So the patient is more educated about what they're doing and more likely to adhere to the medication and adhere to the treatment plan. Um, the other, obviously, big issue in, in antidepressant treatment is this nocebo effect, which is the, the effect of uh, therapeutic nihilism or um, anticipation of a, of a negative outcome of using this antidepressant. So if you've got a doctor that's saying that antidepressant treatment is really trial and error, um, you know, may not work, maybe side effects, that instills um, uh, s some sense of sort of negativity or or, or low expectations in the patient, and we see that play out in clinical trials, this nocebo effect. So pharmacogenetics is taking a trial and error process and saying it's a really trial and error, but now we have a pharmacogenetic technology like CNS-DOS, which is much more precise, and it's scientifically driven, it's personalized. Um, it, it is demonstrated through trials to improve outcomes and reduce side effects. We see that uh, really as a way of attenuating the nocebo effect. Um, and, and boosting adherence to, to the antidepressant medications. 
I think that's great. I, one final comment I'll make here is I, I think that's fantastic because I can tell you it really, really changes the valence, the emotional valence in the room. When I tell a patient, we've done genetic testing and based on your results, which I can hand to you and we can talk about, you, Zoloft will not work for you. You should go for this other medication. And that, that would really change, um, really change how they perceive these antidepressants, these medications in general. So um, I think that that's fantastic. Um, okay, I'll hand it off to David uh, Recupero. Hey, thanks for that, guys. That was fantastic. Um, Harris, if you want to give us a brief overview on, because I know there's some other companies similar to yours with the genetic testing that have found success and recently been acquired, I believe, like Sherex Health, would that be one? Yeah, so there are a couple of um, significant players in the field. There's Assurex Health, which is um, their 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 uh, market facing product is called GeneSight. They're the first mover in the field in this second generation of technologies, looking at liver and brain genetics. Very impressive company um, was acquired in the middle of last year by Myriad Genetics for around four hundred million US dollars. So that was a landmark acquisition in the field that we're in, um, and it was really, uh, really kind of set the tone for the field. So what what we saw in the in that acquisition by Myriad was that GeneSight was the fastest growing diagnostic test in the history of medicine. So we're here today talking about pharmacogenetic technologies in psychiatry and for CNS, those specifically in depression. And what we're seeing is that this is a really hot field. It's a really fast-growing field. So that's that's really drawn the attention of many entrepreneurs, scientists, clinicians, and uh, and other business executives to this field. Um, and they were uh, Assurex was a venture-backed company um, to the tune of I think a hundred plus million US dollars. So very well funded um, by some really blue-chip venture capital and private equity firms. Um, there's, so there's another company uh, in the market called Genomind, which is also doing very impressive things. They, again, are well-funded by um, high-quality venture capital groups. So we are seeing a fair bit of activity in the field. I think the thing to keep in mind is that it's such a large field that there is room for a number of players, and it's probably healthy that there are a number of players. Um, so, you know, we're, we're happy to work alongside these, these folks and, and build awareness for the sector together. Well, what other technology spaces are you uh, excited about when it comes to mental health? So, look, I'm interested in the field of, of precision psychiatry. So looking at ways of leveraging um, omic data, whether it's genomics or proteomics or metabolomics or microbiomics. I'm interested in advanced neuroimaging um, sensor-based technologies, remote monitoring, virtual reality. I'm interested in a, in a broad swath of these kinds of technologies, and I think that my interest is really in how do these technologies demonstrate value? So how do they demonstrate benefits to the patient? So triple value, benefit to the patient, benefit to the physician, and benefit to the health system or the payer. That's really what it, where I think the field needs to move. So we, we need to see more randomized controlled trials and, and high-quality clinical trials in these fields. Um, you know, I think that the likes of uh, Tom Insel moving from being the director of the National Institute of Mental Health, largest government funding agency for mental health research in the world, his move from there to 
Google Life Sciences was was major, uh, demonstrating that this is a very exciting field. And I certainly look at at individuals like him um, as as visionaries. And so, I think it's a very exciting time in precision psychiatry um, and in the world of mental health innovation. Okay, well, to finish things out, one, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. It means a lot, and I think our listeners are really going to love it. With that being said, how can the listeners help you? Yeah, I would say uh, in, in a couple of ways. I'd say um, that I applaud you guys for for developing this program. It's it's very innovative and very timely, so uh, implore listeners to tell more people about your podcast and, and evangelize it. And then, you know, if there are folks out there, executives or clinicians that are interested in using the CNS dose technology, then I'd love to hear from them. Um, we have uh, uh, contact details on our website, so it'd be very interesting to, to talk to you further about that. People that are interested in pharmacogenetics, um, uh, you know, it'd be great to, to hear from you. So that, those would be the ways that uh, the, the listeners could support uh, the work that we're doing. Hey, Harris, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast. Uh, we really looked forward to it. It was a bunch of great information. And best of luck to you here moving forward. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and to have a very enlightened conversation about mental health innovation. Um, wish you all the best with the podcast series.